Welcome to the PetCash Pod. I'm your host, Andrew PetCash. This is the 36th episode in my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest is Malika Underwood, interim CEO of One Team Partners, current member of the Women's USA Baseball Team, and former VP at the Brander Group and IMG. One Team Partners is a solution helping athletes maximize the value of their name, image, and likeness. They specialize in group licensing, marketing, media, and investing for several properties, including the NFLPA, U.S. Women's National Team, MLP, MLBPA, and several others. Last year, Redbird Capital sold its 40% stake in One Team at a $1.9 billion valuation. There are a lot of great insights to pick up from this conversation. I think you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dive in. Malika, I appreciate you coming on today. It's uh, excited to get in, dive into this one, a little bit of one team, women's sports, NIL, a whole bunch of cool stuff we can cover today. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So about a year ago, I read a book by Michael Easter called The Comfort Crisis, one you might be familiar with. And he talks about rucking within it. Just you put a heavy backpack on or, you know, you go hiking, or you're just wearing heavy things and all the health benefits. And, you know, I see that you do a lot of rucking. I was just curious, you know, what, what got you into that? What, you know, why do you love that so much? Well, first of all, it's, it's great exercise. It's, and it's a great way to fit exercise into, into, um, any lifestyle. Really, I've got two young kids, a five year old and a three year old. And so putting on a ruck and hitting the streets after work helps me get a couple of, um, miles in and, and it, it feels good. And, and I can put that behind me. I also have to admit, though, that I'm close family friends with the McCarthys and, and Jason McCarthy mm-hmm. and Emily McCarthy started Go Ruck. And so we are um, required, required to do a lot of rucking. Yeah. So it's mandatory, not so much just completely voluntary on your own, um, putting yourself through it. But also, I mean, you're still very involved, like actually in the athletic side with USA Baseball. You obviously played volleyball or I'm sorry, softball in college. Right. You're right. I was right. Volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. I look, yeah. At t- I look at too many things every day. Okay. So I should have just went with the first cut. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I grew up playing baseball. I grew up in Southern California, played on the boys baseball team in high school for La Jolla High. And it, it won't surprise anybody. There are not a lot of college opportunities to play baseball. So I had a choice it was to switch to softball, which I didn't want to do, or to pursue volleyball and basketball, which were the other sports I played in high school. And I was fortunate enough to get an offer to go to North Carolina. Never looked back. It was a great experience. We had a, a great team. My senior year, we went to the Sweet 16 and finished 11th in the nation. And after that, and you know, going into college, I figured, you know what? My baseball career is probably over. Maybe I'll coach some Little League, which I did in Chapel Hill. But after that, in, in about 2006, I started missing the game as a player and you know, Googled, like, maybe I can find a a local men's league that I can crash or something like that. I'm just so happy that USA Baseball, just down the road in Cary, North Carolina, was having open tryouts for the USA Baseball Women's National Team to go to the World Cup in Taiwan that year. So I tried out and was fortunate to make the team, haven't looked back. And and as I've aged, I'm just holding on for dear life. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I did see two last year, and she might even be on your team. But the one girl, I can't remember her name, but she plays at Brown and she's yeah, on the menu. I think it was, Olivia. yeah, she was, was she the first ever? Division one. Division That's one. awesome. There's been a lot of women who have come up and played at smaller colleges. Um, but yes, she is. She's been in the USA baseball pipeline for a long time. And, and last summer she, she made the team and she's a, she's a superstar. She's really good. And she's, 
totally deserving of, of the spot on the team at Brown. Yeah, it's probably cool too from your perspective, just to, and even for her, just to have people like yourself that like for her just to feel comfortable, like, hey, here's what you know you're going through. Here's how to like market it as well. Make sure you get the publicity out of it, some NIL. You know, I will say I will say this too. Like when I was growing up, it felt as if we were in, on an island, you know, like I know that there were other women playing, but back in the 90s, not to age myself, there there wasn't social media in the way that there is now. And that definitely has played a part, I think, in bringing the, the women's baseball community together. And for Olivia, it's a great way to, to, to maintain support and to your point, to also develop some value with NIL. Yeah. And, and on the NIL and women's space, what are you seeing from that lens? Obviously, you guys have the NIL Compass app. You have, I think, I don't know, 8,000 athletes now 10, under the call. 10,000 now, man, it's just growing. I can't keep up with it. So, you know, what, what are you seeing on that space? Where is it going? You know, how is one team involved in, in you know, the evolution as because it's still in the very early stages, as we all know. That and that's the and that's the biggest point is it's still so early on. You know, I think I think people's expectations when the landscape changed July one of twenty twenty one was that oh on July second jerseys will be on shelves and video games will be out and the doors would just sort of blew open and it's taken some time for for I think the market to to um, settle a little bit. But from from my perspective, both as an athlete, but then also from the one team perspective. I, we're we're really excited about the opportunity for college athletes now to be compensated for their NIL and and the growth that we've seen um, in our programs has been across all sports. Right, we've got a program like I said, ten thousand athletes and growing every day at over a hundred schools across eight different sports. So this isn't something that's just focused on you know the star football player or the star Batman basketball player. It's all athletes have an opportunity if they want to participate in programs, whether that be through a group licensing, whether that be endorsement deals that have, are national or regional in nature, or more localized things, or just simply do a camp in their in their hometown. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an awesome opportunity for athletes who may or may not go on to, the, on to professional ranks in their sport to maximize a, a window of time. And for some of them, it might be the pinnacle of their of their athletic career. And so to be able to do a few things to make a little bit of extra money. I don't think that outside of like the, the top 1%, anybody's going to get rich off of this. But what a cool opportunity to, to maximize your popularity or your social following or the, just the fact that your parents and friends can buy your jersey or a name number T. It's pretty awesome. And I, you know, I wish I had it 20 years ago when I was playing volleyball at North Carolina. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, if you if this was live when you were playing, are there any certain things seeing like the other side of it now you would be doing or you would be focusing on? It's a good question. I, you know, I, I don't know how much I would get into or not. It's hard to say, but it would have been cool for for my family and friends to buy, you know, a jersey or, or name number T and wear it in the stands. That's probably the extent to which I would have sold jerseys and tees, like five, ten, maybe. <laughs> but it's something, and I would have yeah. got caught for it. So, so it's it's pretty cool, and I think there is still a lot more to come. It's still really early. You think about the fact that, and we we see this in the work that we do. the The market sort of has to catch up with the interest and and demand in a way that just takes time. Quite frankly, this is maybe a little bit too detailed for for the audience but like when a fanatics is buying their blanks they're doing so 
nine to 12 months in advance of the next season. And, and so when the, when the landscape changed again, you had to think they didn't have blanks on hand to be able to create jerseys that, that fall 2021. It took, it took a bit of time. So just seeing those things come together and, and then the technology, our platform, the Compass NIL app being able to integrate with Fanatics platform and then create basically real time ability for, for them to offer a drop down menu across rosters. It, it just it just took some time to build it, to build it all. But now that we have the foundation, it's the opportunities are going to continue to grow from there. And then obviously, a lot of people want to see EA come out with their video game, which also takes time to develop. You ask the EA guys, like, they can't, they couldn't just reskin the Madden game because college football is very different than, than professional football. And then the most recent college football game is over a decade old. So technology has changed a lot since then. They've got to completely rebuild it. So the development of that game has taken time. I know fans just can't wait for it to come out, but, but it's those types of things. When we look back in five or 10 years, we're going to be like, wow, we've, came, we've come a long way. Just like we're kind of right in it. We're so close to the, to the wall. It feels like it should all be here now, but it's just going to take time to get, get to market. Yeah, I might have to buy, my, buy another PlayStation just to play that game when it comes back out. That's going to bring me right back to my childhood. I think it was 2014 was their last game. Right. So yeah, like what the next one's twenty four or twenty twenty four, so ten years exactly. That's right. Um, it's a pretty cool opportunity too. I mean, I think not only for the athletes to be in that game, but to your point, like playing video games is a way for kids to become fans. Kids to become fans of teams. Kids become fans of college football, uh, and we've missed that for the for the last for the last decade. And so I, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be. And, and a really exciting moment when it does come out. Yeah, I'm excited about that as well. And I appreciate you bringing up kind of the fanatics piece. Like, even though it might be a little over some people's heads, like, it's good. It's interesting to hear, like, what's really happening and why certain things take time. Now, are there any other challenges of bringing group licensing from the pros down to college that, you know, people are just kind of not thinking about too much? Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of challenges. There are, there are a lot of similarities which have allowed us to apply key learnings from what we do in the pro space to the college space, but there are a lot of nuances in the college space, not the least of which is the scale. Mm-hmm. So when you look at how many college athletes there are, it, it's, it's multiple times what you see in the pro space, even if you add them all together, right? NFL football players, approximately 2,000 football players. Now, when Ian puts out the game, they're going to include somewhere near 10,000 football players. And that's, again, just football players. So navigating that scale has been a challenge. And it's why it's why we worked alongside CLC to develop the Compass app, because we needed a place to house all of those rights and to interface with the athletes, but also from a tech standpoint, allow licensees to track all of the all of the the athletes right and that's the other that's the other challenge which or one of the other challenges which is you have athletes at a school for maybe four or five years mm-hmm. and if they're really good it's less and then now with a transfer portal they could be at two three four schools during their college career so how do you track all of that it's very different and then there's not an aggregator right like you have and and take aside sort of the fragmentation of state legislation which exists but it doesn't prohibit group licensing. So from our perspective, it hasn't impacted our approach. But you do have different schools who handle NIL differently. 
And so you have to figure out ways to work with each of the schools to educate the athletes. And so that level of fragmentation has also been challenging. It's challenging for licensees and brands to navigate. And there's not one aggregator. In the pro space, you have the NFLPA and all of the players are members of, of that of that union and, and, then also, and then sign their group license agreement through that. You have the MLBPA in baseball. So you have these centralized places for a company like ours, one team, to help commercialize those rights. It's very direct, right? One-stop shop. On the college side, again, mentioning the 10,000 plus athletes that we mm-hmm. had, we had to go one by one by one to add them in. Now, I think like it's like sending a, a snowball down the hill, like mm-hmm. it's and it's easier now than it was a year ago. And now that we have a foundation, we're just looking at transfers and freshmen who are coming in to make this really easy for them to understand. And I think, I think it'll just continue to build on itself. So those are, those are some of the major challenges and differences in the pro space. Certainly our experience in the pro space working with, with the PAs that we do, PAs, players associations, right. has, has, uh, has helped us and has given us a, a jump start. But we've had to, to navigate a very, a very nuanced landscape for sure. Yeah. And, and as this continues to play out, there's so really you guys, and, and if you could explain even a little bit your relationship in between the Players Association, right? Because I had Steve Scabella from the NFL Players Inc. So there's like all these entities alongside these player associations. Like where does one team sit and what are kind of the roles and responsibilities that differ between them? Sure. So so it varies by PA because what what we are for the NFL PA and MLB PA is really an extension of of their players inc arms, their commercial arms, which mm-hmm. which I'm sure explained. So we we add depth, we add expertise to what they already have in-house. But with with some of our other players associations, they don't have those commercial arms. So we act fully as that commercial arm. So we're out developing group licensing opportunities across all categories. We're out there helping with sponsorship opportunities um, and selling PA assets. So we become a full service commercial arm for for many of the PAs, and that includes the NWSL PA, that includes the MLS PA, that includes the WMBPA, U.S. Women's National Team PA. And so we've got a, a, a across a lot of sports, we have a lot of relationships. And there is a benefit to the work that we do because we work with licensees who, who want to work across all of those sports and we have those relationships so we can continue to develop those. And that's also what's helped us in college. We can have a conversation with Fanatics and, and EA because we're already doing business with them on the pro side. So to, to then bring to them college rights makes a ton of sense for them to continue to work, work with us. We've got about 60 people on staff. We are we are technically based in in DC, but but we grew up a lot during COVID, so we've got uh, staff all over the all over the country, and uh, we continue we we are continuing to to grow in much of what we do and many of the services that we provide our PAs. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know one team's not that old. Even it's only what is it like five years or something at this point? Three, three. Yeah, it's crazy. So and, and also a lot of the main people involved at one team or NFL Players Inc. or some of these subsidiary type companies, they help set up a lot of these actual player associations. Now, it seems natural that there's going to be you guys also assisting in like possibly a college players association or union. You know, what does that landscape look like? And, you know, where where kind of is that space at this current moment? 
It's a really interesting question. So our business operates, and we've proven this already over the last year and a half, without the existence of a, right? We can go out as we have in the college space and get individual athletes to opt into a group, group licensing program. If athletes are interested in unionizing, they, they, they certainly will. I think the challenges in the college space are a, are, are a couple fold at least, which is one scale, go back to scale. How do you, how do you organize that many mm-hmm. athletes? Also the turnover, how, how do you convince an athlete in that four year, maybe five year window to, to commit to unionizing? And then the other question is, are the needs the same? Like in the pro space, it's by sport, right? You, you have the NFLPA, they represent the, the, the rights and, and the issues that, that affect pro football players. Yeah. In the college space, if you tried to do it across the entire landscape, the, the, the issues a football player faces in college are very different than the issues a basketball or a volleyball player might face. So all that to say, you know, I think that there is likely to be movement or at least very serious discussion about it, but they're going to have to overcome, you know, those those particular issues. And, and you've seen some organizations pop up here and there have tried to organize around particular sports and, and issues like that. There is also the NCPA that's been around for some time that that has represented the the, the issues at hand for, for athletes and, and been an advocate for those athletes. But it's a challenging space for that. And so, you know, for us, one team, whether there is a union or not, we're going to exist and be able to, to drive commercial opportunities to those athletes if the athletes do decide that they want to unionize. And that provides us an opportunity to be the commercial extension of that union. That That's great, too. But those are, I mean, I, I think those are, it's a challenging landscape, much different maybe more like sort of international soccer or something like that than it really is like North American um, professional sports. Yeah. And you, one team, I'm speaking of one team here, you have most of the players associations. I think maybe the NBA is like one of the ones you still haven't gotten to yet. But other than that, you basically have everything. What does it look like internationally? Is there expansion plans there as well? Yeah, we definitely have interest in in working and expanding internationally and working with some of the organizations overseas. I think that the comparison for us from a business standpoint is 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 like college and maybe not on the athlete by athlete standpoint because it might there there are a number of organizations that we we could partner with, but creating a platform that helps aggregate those rights in an efficient way like the Compass NIL app could be the access point for us in the international market, providing efficiencies for licensees. I mean, if you take the EA FIFA game, soon to be called EAFC, they have hundreds, if not thousands of of rights holders that they have to sign deals with in order to make that game happen because you don't have the same North American Players Association structure internationally. And so could we create some efficiencies for them potentially or other licensees who want to get into that market? So we we have aspirations to continue to expand. I think there's a lot of similarities to college. And I think for us, that's that's a not only providing college athletes an opportunity, but also there there is sort of a stepping stone there that if we can do college right, can we then take mm-hmm. that model into the into the international space? Yeah, and the the soccer, football, whatever people want to call it, that's basically 
very similar to a college model of just like how the fans work and the companies. Now, are there any verticals? You obviously you brought up we brought up EA in this conversation. We brought up Fanatics. You know, are there any certain new verticals or new innovation like tech landscapes that you guys are looking at for companies of possible group deals? You know, it's always we're always with our ear to the ground. You know, go back a couple of years and nobody could have predicted the the NFT boom. You know, we're kind of we're all coming back down from from Mars on that one. But the reality is that things, new opportunities, category, you know, products and categories that we're not thinking about exist. The the way that we prepare ourselves for that is to make sure that the folks on our teams, whether it's the consumer products team or the team that focuses on trading cards or the team that focuses on games, is full of experts, experts who come from that industry and can help us navigate the nuances and and the the new technologies or or the new products that that might be coming down the pipe. So, you know, I think we're in a really good position on behalf of our PA and the athletes that they represent to to capture any new opportunities that 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 are around the corner. Guessing what those are is a whole nother, a whole nother <laughs> can of worms. <laughs> yeah, everything just happens so fast. Now. I mean, you see artificial intelligence, like it's been in that space. They've been like, yo, this has been, you know, getting better and better for years. But then just publicly, it like all hits you at yeah. once. It's that's wild. Right. That's right. And yeah, that's why, again, having experts who, who not only understand the rights landscape of professional sports or college, but who have backgrounds, you know, working for a Disney or a technology company and attracting them to one team and having them on our staff is important because they can be the the experts that help us help us identify those as early as possible and then maximize the opportunities for for our players associations. Yeah, and one team when you think of it or at least publicly a lot of people are like, "Oh, okay, group rights, marketing, sponsorship." But something else you guys have started focusing on more recently is in is the investing angle as athletes, you know, want to get more into that to that avenue. You know, what, what's the trend you're seeing with that? You know, why is that becoming so much more prevalent? And then how are you facilitating these athletes into deals? I'll let you take it from there. I, I was yeah. going to add another, I was going to add another point, but then I was like, you'll probably talk, you'll probably touch on it. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to, to, to hear the other point, but I, I think it, there's a couple of levels here. I think one, athletes individually have become more interested in diversifying their, their portfolios really. And so I, I think what we are, we are looking to emphasize and assist with is just identifying those opportunities. Athletes on their on their own are going to do you know their their own their own diligence, but we have an opportunity as an extension of the as as an extension of the PAs. We we have access, we have networks, we have just the ability to analyze opportunities. You know, we have we have been that that part of our business is isn't the focus any as much as it was early on and not because there aren't opportunities but i think mostly because we've seen equity positions through our licensing deals to be more valuable so as as part of those deals that we strike on behalf of the pas we also get equity as opposed to more of a traditional like venture approach where we're we're um looking for investment opportunities so it, it's been an interesting sort of road for us as we've navigated this as as one team but i do think on the on the athlete side there's a lot of interest individually for athletes to expand their portfolio yeah what i was going to ask you is you guys did a deal with will ventures or a partnership or something like what that looks like what that actually entails 
Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a partnership that allows us both to sort of share interest, right? Like share leads and discuss, and then they they do a lot of the they do a lot of the the heavy lifting for us. But it, it is mostly like a, a sort of a pipeline relationship, if you want to call it that. Yeah, and and for anyone that doesn't know, Will Ventures is more like a fitness, wellness, sports uh, venture firm started by Isaiah. I never even try to say his last name. He was a former NFL player. You know, it's a, it's a great relationship for us because we do get a lot of inbound, and mm. so we're able to then you know filter that inbound and decide if it's something that we at the one team level want to invest in, or or if we think Will and their network will you know help to Will Ventures and their network will help to um be a better partner in that. So it, it's a it's a it's mutually beneficial relationship. It's great. Yeah. And then as we talk about kind of the growth, obviously athletes investing has been a big piece, but really seeing over the last couple months, few women's funds pop up. We're seeing, you know, the women's final four was incredible. Tons of other stuff. You have a awesome shirt on bed on women that some people will be able to see, some people won't. And uh, you know, I'm just curious what you're seeing on that space, why it really feels like now women's sports is finally reaching that and then what you guys obviously are doing to make sure that keeps going on an upward trajectory. Yeah, there's there is a lot more growth still to come there, but we certainly have seen in the in the last 12 to 18 months public recognition of the fact that there's there's opportunity there, which which is good to see. I mean, because people have been shouting from the mountaintops for some time. I think access to broadcast has been a big piece of that. And the more that people see it, the more that people can watch and find very easily Caitlin Clark playing in a game and dropping 40 on on folks, like <laughs> the more fans will, there there will be. Right. And and the more money will, will come to, to the game, whatever women's sports you're, you, you want to throw up, throw in there. So, you know, from our perspective, it's like we knew this was coming and we've helped create the foundation from a commercial standpoint for for these for many of those athletes to to benefit as this exponential rise continues. So, you know, we're very very proud of the work that we've done with the US Women's National Team PA with the WNBPA and now with the NWSLPA we added last year and um I, I still think, you know, we're just scratching the surface there. There's just so much more because quite frankly, we haven't gotten you know, the same distribution retail distribution or the same commitment from from licensees and so we're we're continuing to to make the case and we're continuing to see growth but we're not there yet we're not there yet right. still a lot more to more to come but i but i do think access coverage those types of things have really helped bring to light the opportunity and i think you're seeing more and more commercial dollars whether that's through licensing and the sale of merchandise or through the sponsorships really come 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 to fruition. So it's been it's been good, but I think, you know, we're still a ways off. Yeah, there's a ways to go for sure. Now what like the NWSL, obviously you guys work with their players association, work with them. You did the well, I guess it's what EAFC now or whatever, but they're they're included in that game. There's just recently the San Francisco team. So that's going now, and this is even hard to answer, but I'm just curious, like your thoughts on it. How far behind in an essence, and I, I don't even like to say it like that way, but there's really no other way to say it. Like just comparing them even to the MLS, like what's it going to take? And then like, what is that gap? Like, is it a lot closer than people think or is it a little farther away than people think? And and is your question about just the the commercial nature of the leagues or is, is there something else there? Yeah, it's a piece. But even 
to say like the MLS, I wouldn't say is massively popular, but they have a $250 million a year deal with Apple. NWSL, I think has like a $1 million. Like there's a 200, you know, 250X difference. Like what even shifts it to get it closer to that? And why is there still such that gap? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it has to do with the recognition and we're just at the start, the recognition that there there is value and demand there. And this is not this is not a charity case. There there are uh fans who want to spend money around the sport. And I think it we're just at the start line, and that's why you're still seeing that difference, that significant difference. I think though, there are lots of people and companies who are recognized that that's not it's not even Saying it's unacceptable is not even the right phrase. Like it's bad business. It's bad business to look at it like it doesn't have value or there aren't fans watching. And so I think that people are recognizing that and 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 starting to invest in the sports like soccer in the U.S. and globally for that matter, because the WSL has is growing quite a bit too, or the W or or you name it. So I, I think that. It's just a matter of, of where sort of where we are in, in the timeline more than more than anything. And and I think I think you'll see a lot of change in the in the coming years. Yeah, it's certainly a push pull type scenario. And then even you lo- you mentioned her earlier, like Caitlin Clark. No one cared that she's a woman. It's just like she's a really talented player. So it's like putting the spotlight on these players, letting that like seep into the teams and then eventually into the actual leagues themselves. That seems like to be the playbook of how to grow any sport. And I'd I'd also be remiss not to mention the the fight that women have been fighting for some time and the impact that that has had. I mean, they have been whether it be any time they had a chance to to speak about it or tweet about it or or you know whatever the case may be. Like they they have been vocal about the differences and and I think that has made a difference uh, over time. And again, I'm not, not suggesting that we're anywhere near the finish line, but but they've drawn attention to issues, and that's been an important part of it. I mean, you think about the how long it took for the U.S. women's national team to to get equal pay, and that happened just just last year. And it took a lot of uncomfortable moments and uncomfortable comments and direct comments in order for them to 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 accomplish what they did. And so I think we're in a in a really um, unique time where the athlete voice matters and matters more than it ever has. And they're willing to speak out and speak up. And that's 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 been key. So think about that. 2022, you have equal pay. 2021, you have college athletes who can get compensated now. I mean, this is a dynamic time for for athletes individually, but but collectively as well. Yeah, it's accelerating fast. Now, first off, I appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome. Very insightful. Interesting. Give us, you know, any initiatives that you want to talk about that one team has, even you personally have, if you want, if there's anything, you know, maybe you, I know you're going for six gold medals or six medals you know, shortly. And then, you know, where we can find out more about you or on any of the social platforms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked a, a lot about the good stuff that one team's doing. We obviously continue to grow both on the professional side and the college side. And and our, our mission is, is to, to, maximize the collective value of all athletes and we we'd love to continue to add more athletes across sports and we will as as time goes by and i think you know personally i've had a great opportunity to be a part of of that 
and still be an athlete. And, you know, not everybody gets that opportunity to pursue their personal and professional passions. And uh, so I'm thinking I'm thankful for that. You know, USA Baseball women's national team is playing this summer in the precursor to the World Cup, which will be next summer. And so talking about and and coverage, uh, we don't we don't get much of that at all. You can't find women's baseball, but you can find, you know, I don't know, cornhole or <laughs> so, you know, my, my husband has many times tried to reach out to, to folks at, at ESPN or wherever else and say, why aren't you covering uh, women's baseball? Now, I will say we, we do have uh, more often now than ever before streaming opportunities. And so you can you can dig us up usually. But I guess if I was going to say say a piece, that would be it. Look out for the USA Baseball women's national team this summer and next and uh and and cheer for cheer for us yeah i'll definitely be uh looking out for that and then um we'll have to uh we'll have to go on a ruck sometime and and uh, keep it going but but appreciate you coming on and and actually last thing i it just hit me right as i'm thinking about this because you guys are growing and a lot of people have been asking me more about these like higher level sports type companies like if there's ever applications or where they can find if there's open jobs and so I was just like, yo, this might be the perfect time if you guys have anything or is anywhere people can look because I keep getting a ton of messages about it. Yeah, yeah. So our website is joinoneteam.com. But follow, if, you, if you follow us on LinkedIn, we, we post all of our openings on, on LinkedIn amongst other places. But yeah, we're, we're, we're growing and, and we want talented people on our staff. So if you're interested, reach out. Awesome.